Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. All right. Well, uh, I just want to say good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are glad that you are all here on this sticky and hot day today. Um, but we actually um, have something to make it worthwhile. We have a special treat for you. Uh, not only um, is today Father's Day, um, but today we have a special guest speaker with us today, and he's going to share a special Father's Day message. But uh, before I bring him up here, I just want to tell you a little bit about my friend, uh, Dr. David Larson. Um, Dr. David Larson is currently the next-gen pastor at uh, Horizon Foursquare Church. Uh, next-gen is a new church speak for um, uh, you know young people and young couples. Um, so he is the next-gen pastor at, uh, like I said, Horizon Foursquare Church in Victorville. Um, he also is a software developer for a um, an online program called the Blue Letter Bible. It's actually one of my favorite uh, Bible study tools. It's a great way to learn uh, Greek and uh, Hebrew tenses of words. And, and every time you hear me pronounce a word um, up here in Greek, it's because of this app. I can actually go there and listen to somebody else pronounce it so I don't have to figure it out by myself. So anyway, he works for Blue Letter Bible, and he is also husband to his wife, Kimberly. Yay. In fact, they've been celebrating... <laughs> Uh, they'll be celebrating their 10th anniversary in August. Um, And uh, David is also the father of Ariana, who is eight, Isaiah, who is six. And he and Kim are in the process of now uh, adopting their foster daughter, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And so we're excited for that. And please pray for them in that. And David has a a passion for God, and he has an incredible testimony uh, of God's faithfulness. And it is my privilege to invite him up here to share with you the word uh, of the Lord today. So mm-hmm. I'd like to invite Dr. David Larson to come oh, up here, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Sean. So today is Father's Day. I don't think that escaped anyone's attention since we just had a video about it and all that good stuff. And Father's Day messages, you generally have two categories of messages, right? You have messages about how God is our Father, which is wonderful and super, super awesome. And you have messages to fathers about being better fathers. And that's super awesome. I love that too. And I, and I asked God, well, which one do you want me to do? And God said, well, let's try something a little bit different. I feel like it's different. Hopefully it is. So what was put on my heart is learning not just about how God is an amazing father, because he is, and that should be plain and obvious to everyone here, right? But learning how we can be better children, learning how we can honor him and appreciate him better. Because you think about Father's Day, right? And what do you get God on Father's Day, right? Uh, you can't get a, a TV bigger than God's, right? You can't get like you can't get him like a new pair of shoes or a new tie or like right. What do you get, God? And so I want to look at that about how we can live intentionally as God's children, not incidentally, because it's a precious, precious truth. And speaking of stating the obvious, I felt like God was really putting on my heart, and you probably already all know this as plain as day, as plain as the fact that it's hot, right? <laughs> you guys are so blessed. You guys are so blessed. I want you to know that. I was listening to to Pastor Sherman's message from last Sunday, last night. And even though there was no video, even though I couldn't see his mannerisms or his expressions, I could hear in his voice the love that he has for you guys and the love that he has for God. And if you haven't already, please tell him that you love him and that you're so thankful for him and for the work that God's doing in his life and the work that God is doing through him in your life. Amen? Cool. Let's pray one more time. He didn't pay me to say that, by the way. (laughs) God, you are so good. I'm so humbled to be here in this place, God. I'm so humbled that you would use me to speak your message of truth and your love and from your word, Father. And so I pray 
that you'd empty me of myself, God, that this wouldn't be another one of David's great ideas or some sort of amazing thing that I discovered, God, but that all that would be washed away and that this would be your plain and obvious truth from your word, God, that you would use my mouth to communicate your heart, God. And that you'd open every single heart, every single mind to be able to receive your spirit, God. Help us to be more aware of your presence. You're around us every moment of every day, God, but we take it for granted. And so I pray that right now in this place that we would set aside every distraction and that your spirit would be the biggest thing on our priority list, that we would be intentional about drawing near to you and about experiencing you as your children, as you are our father. In Jesus' name, amen. So did you guys know that you're God's children? Did you know that you're God's children, right? And this isn't just me speaking. This isn't children in a, in a sense of like, wow, that was fun, of, of like, this is something that God created. Like, I create software at work, and like, the little modules and, and, and functions that I write, those are my children. It's not like that, right? This is actually that you are God's children. It says it plainly in the Word all over. It says in 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Look at how huge His love is, that He would call us children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. This is a weird thing that we're called his children. This is a huge, huge thing. Again, in Ephesians 1.5, it says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Two huge things in that verse. Two, predestined. God did not make you his child on accident. He didn't adopt you to clean up a mess. He wasn't like, wow, they're just really lost. Um, I guess I'm going to have to be their dad, right? It wasn't an accident. He predestined. It was his plan from the very, very beginning that he would be your father and that you would be his child and that you would enjoy him and that he would enjoy you. It was on purpose. And not only was it on purpose, it wasn't out of obligation. It says, according to the good pleasure of his will. That means he wanted to do it. That means he wants to be your father. He wants to be my father. Again, in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, it says, But the, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Number one, he sent Jesus Christ. Born of a woman, born under the law, out of no obligation. There's nothing in God's rule book that said that he had to come and send his son for us. Nothing. Purely driven out of love. Number two, to redeem us who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. That was all of us. That was the only hope we had. It was like the tiniest, most impossible hope that we could keep the whole law impossible because the law says you have to be perfect right we couldn't do it ourselves that we might number three receive the adoption as sons and because you are sons i love in paul's writing how sometimes because we tend to glance through the bible we tend to speed read through the bible sometimes you'll say the same thing twice They'll say, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, right? Because you missed it the first time. So in case you missed this the first time, that you're adopted as his son, because you are his sons. God has sent forth his spirit, number four, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you don't know much about Hebrew, Abba is a very, very precious word for father. It's the Hebrew equivalent to daddy. It's not father in like a holy, like, sense. It's not even father in like an authoritative sense. It's daddy in in an intimate sense. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen? We could go home right now if we got that, right? We could be like, let's have some ice cream, right? Because that's awesome. That's, that's it. But I feel like as Christians, we don't necessarily get that. 
So I want to look at this idea of what is a child? What, is it, what does it mean to be a child, right? Number one, children are precious. Do you agree? Children are precious and beautiful and wonderful. They're just this impossible little bundle of joy that is just like beaming with potential and love. And they're fragile, right? You guys just went through a series about submitting to God. About trusting your fragile nature with God's magnificent hugeness. <laughs> I'm a doctor and I say words like hugeness. Isn't that great? <laughs> right? So being a child is a precious thing. It's a fragile thing. It's a vulnerable thing. Children are unique. I'm amazed at how different my children are. Who here has more than two children? More than three. Keep your hand up. More than four. More than five. You. Actually, I know you. That's my mom. Uh, are, your, <laughs> are your children the same? Are any of them the same? At all? Like, they're so radically different and so unique. Especially me. <laughs> but you survived, and I survived. But children are so unique. And I find the things that work so great with one child doesn't work at all with the other. And one child requires this, but the other one's like, I don't care about that. And the other child wants this. And like, they're just so different and so precious. And God knows every single one. It says, when it talks about the good shepherd, it says he calls each one by name. He calls each one by name. Now, if I were a shepherd and I had hundreds of sheep, I don't think I would be able to name all of them. I wouldn't be able to know the difference. Like, this one would be stinky and hairy, and that one would be, like, black patch on the eye, and that would be gimpy. Oh, that's me. Um, and then that one would be, you know, right? I would call them nicknames. Probably not very glamorous nicknames, right? But to know each one by name. That God knows you in the full uniqueness of who you are, good and bad, and chooses to love you. That's a beautiful thing. Number three, you probably didn't see this coming. Children are spongy. Now, my wife knows this about me. I have, I'm not going to call it a phobia, but I have a bit of an OCD tendency when it comes to sponges. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, that sponge was used once. Throw it away, right? Because sponges suck everything up. And so if you're using a sponge to clean a dirty dish, you got to throw it away. Because, like, you can't just leave it there with all the dish germs and nastiness and nacho cheese clinging to it. And, like, that's gross, right? Get rid of that sponge. Don't use it again, right? Sponges absorb things, and that's how children are. They absorb everything around them, right? Where whatever environment you put them in, they start to become like that environment. They start to, good or bad, take on the attributes of that environment. And we're no different. We're no different. The environment that you're in becomes your nature. So I want to get real for a second. When, when I first met Pastor Sherman back at Boron High School about a year and a half ago, we just started on this journey of adoption. Um... A year and a half ago, they tell you, for kids under three years old, it's supposed to be six months. From the time they're placed in your home, from the time they're placed in social service custody, uh, to the time they decide whether or not to terminate parental rights, it's supposed to be six months. We just crossed a year and a half. It's, it's been a crazy journey, guys. Um, and I know, I knew from the outset that God was going to teach me something about himself, touch something about myself through this whole process, and he has so much. When you look at God's word, you see some obvious, amazing things. Number one is God loves orphans. Do you guys know this? Do you guys know that God loves orphans? We talk about religion. Do you guys know what the biblical definition for religion is? It says, this is pure religion. Say it if you know it. We don't even know it. 
taking care of widows and orphans. That's what it says. James 1.27, look it up. This is pure religion. Taking care of widows and orphans. And we've got our giant houses with our empty rooms. All those people, there's, there's little baby kids that are in need that don't have homes. God loves orphans. I pray that he teaches us to love them because he loves the fatherless. He wants to be their father. God loves orphans. And number two, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anyone. Love requires risk. If you love someone and you say that there's no risk, I would say that maybe that's not love. I would say that maybe that's not love. If there's not this risk that you could be hurt, that you could be damaged, that you could be taken advantage of, that you could be rejected, then that's not love. And the most amazing definition of that that I see is in God's word. You see it over and over and over again throughout the children of Israel. You see it where Jesus says, I, I've longed for so long to gather you up and to hold you close and you keep punching me in the face and rejecting me. Over and over and over again. The Old Testament puts it like this. It says, you have prostituted yourself out over and over again with every other God on all these hills. When all the while, I wanted you for myself. Love requires risk and God is not exempt. But it says in Romans 8.35 that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. That there is no risk that is too great that God will say, I will not love him because I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, nothing. God will risk it all to love you. And he has risked it all to love me. And so going into this adoption, this precious, beautiful baby girl. Oh, I think we're on lessons from adoption. There's, oh, I've got the clicker here. Dude, you guys haven't been seeing the slides. They're pretty. <laughs> Look, there's some verses. Sorry, I thought somebody else was clicking the thing. Here we go. Almost caught up. See, there's the sponge. See, I told you there was a sponge. <laughs> so love requires risk. Now, you've got to see this because your heart's going to melt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I say, too. Dude, you cannot ask for a more beautiful baby girl. You really just can't. Like, I mean, I would love her if she was ugly. <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> I would love her if she was ugly. But, man, what a beautiful little baby girl. What a beautiful little baby girl. And from the outset, I knew that God was going to teach me something about myself through this. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious, right? The whole idea of this fatherless child who is so lost and just precious and vulnerable. And this father comes in and and scoops him up and says, this will be my child, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's the stuff that Hollywood movies are made out of, right? I knew that God was going to try to teach me something about myself in this. And as, I real, as I, we, we walk through this, we realize that you're not just ad- adopting a baby. That you're going through all the drama that that comes with. You're adopting social workers. You're adopting lawyers. You're adopting more social workers. And then right in the middle of this mix are these biological parents. And if you know anything about adoption, you know that there's a natural animosity between the biological parents and the, the adoptive parents, Right? Well, there shouldn't be, but there is. There's this, this sense of, life, of looking at this precious life that's just been abandoned and neglected in so many ways. 
I, I, can't even, I can't even remember all the drugs that they told us that, that her mom did while she was pregnant. In addition to smoking and drinking, I can't tell you about the withdrawals that she went through that, that kept her in the, the hospital for five weeks after she was born. I can't tell you about the ways that that's affected her system. And I take all that and I look and I see a very, very clear person who's responsible. I see a very clear target. I say, it was you. You had a choice, mom. You had a choice on whether or not you were going to protect this precious, amazing, beautiful gift that was given to you. Or you were going to pursue your own aims. You were going to do these drugs that are harming you and the baby. You were going to risk it all with alcohol and with cigarettes and with heroin and methamphetamines, which are her two favorites, in addition to all the other ones. The worst part is her dad. Her dad, his mom's drug dealer. And how are you supposed to love that? How are you supposed to love that? A guy who for profit will poison his wife and his kid. It wasn't even his wife, his girlfriend and his unborn child to make money. And so I got angry at the biological parents. I got a little bit of bitterness growing up inside of me about them. And it wasn't until God showed me the truth that I understood what he was trying to teach me in this. In Ephesians 2, 3 through 5, it says, Among whom also we, we, also once conduct, conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by very nature, by our nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, God was trying to teach me a story. He was trying to show me who I was in him through this adoptive process. But I was not. I am not that precious, innocent baby. I'm the person who's rejected over and over again and who's gone after my own ways. I'm that person who's lost in darkness. And... This, just this last week, they had the 2-6 hearing where they terminated the parental rights. And it was so bittersweet because this whole 18-month process, we said, God, hurry up. God, hurry up. God, hurry up. Finish this. It was supposed to be done six months ago. Hurry up. Hurry up. And then finally at this, this hearing where they lose their rights to their children, where this, this mom no longer has a child legally, that's been cut. I finally see that God was extending grace after grace, after grace, after grace to this mom. Hoping, praying that she would get her life together. That she would see that he was trying to draw near to her. There may be a couple of people in here. Who God's giving grace after grace. After grace. After grace. After grace too. That's me. And I thank God that he didn't give up. He didn't say, you had your six months. You had your second chance and your third chance and your fourth chance and your fifth chance. I'm done with you. It begs the question, how do we see sinners? 
How do we see sinners? When you see someone using, or you see someone and their breath smells all like alcohol and they're homeless on the street, or you see someone and you know, you know, you know that they're in the wrong. Do you go toward judgment or toward compassion? See, when it comes down to it, we as Christians should be the most compassion-filled people on the planet. Because we've said, I'm not clean. We've said, I've got stuff that's wrong with me. I've got this fatal, fatal cancer in my soul called sin. And the only way I can get rid of it is by the grace of God, is by asking Jesus, please, 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 would you forgive me? Please, would you let your atonement, your death, apply to my sin? Please. And we come and we do that and we immediately tend to forget who we were. Like, the, like the, in the parable where, where the servant goes before the king and the king says, I lent you billions of dollars. It's like this massive, unimaginable sum. Like if you calculate it out, it's like the, the gross national product of many the, like first world countries. Like that's a big loan. <laughs> that's huge. And the king says, pay it back now. And the servant says, I can't. I don't have anything. I can't. Don't, don't throw me in jail. Don't, don't throw my family in jail. And the king says... I'll give you another week. No, that's not what the king said, right? The king said, I'll forgive your debt. All of it. And the servant went out and he was rejoicing. He was like, yes, yes, I'm a free man. I'm a free man. I just escaped death. This weight of this huge, massive debt that was over me is gone. And then he sees someone that owes him lunch money. And he laid hands on him. But on his throat, not like in a nice way, right? And he's like, give me my lunch money, give me my... Right? What on earth? That doesn't make any sense. And you look at God's perspective, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you realize how much I've forgiven you? This is the foundation of who we are in Christ. Our relationship with the Father is the foundation if we get this wrong, everything else messes up. We misinterpret the, 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 the attitude behind God's word. You guys just went through an amazing series on temptation. And the conclusion was to submit and draw near. You see, a lot of times we as Christians like to take this Christianity thing and we like to think of it as like we're on God's board. Right? We're on his board of directors and we're like advising him. <laughs> like, and I know that sounds goofy, but listen to your prayers sometimes. Like how much of our prayer time is spent informing God? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh God, you know Sue. Sue, she messed up again. Yep, she's got this thing. Or, or oh God, you know Kevin. He's, I don't know if you know, he, he has this cancerous tumor that's on his hip. You know, if you can just metastasize that and just, you know, we're like, <laughs> like we're trying to inform God and tell him how to do his job, right? Instead of coming to him as children. Or we come to God as like watchdogs. Trying to get each other in trouble. Does anyone have kids that try to get each other in trouble? My hand's up because like that's me. Like that's your brother. That's your sister. You should love them. And like it's like they're competing for my love. Like did you see what he did? You should definitely love me more because he's in trouble. <laughs> you know, right? It's like we totally do that. <laughs> and we approach God like that in our Christian walk. We're like, hey, God, did you see what he did? You should love me a lot because I'm better than him, right? <laughs> but we look at Jesus and we look at, at when he watched the, the tax collector 
And the Pharisee go to prayer. And the Pharisee has this like super pious prayer with all the right words, right? And he's probably quoting scripture and he's like, Oh, great and heavenly Father, I thank you that I am not like this lowly tax collector, ridden by sin and corrupted by the darkness of this world. And, you know, like just waxing full of stuff. All these different stuff, right? What do the tax collectors say? He threw himself on his knees before God and he begged his chest. He said, God, I'm so sorry. I did it again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And Jesus said only one of those men went home justified. See, as Christians, we can choose to pretend like we're in charge. We can choose to play church, right? We can come here every Sunday and we can do our churchy things and we can like make sure that everything's in the right order and that we, we you know, sing the right songs at the right time and the right key at the right tempo and that we do all these things. Or we can come to God and say, God, it's Father's Day today. Every day. What do you want from me? How can I serve you? How can I honor you? How can I be more like you? Submit and draw near. It requires this vulnerability that is just so counterintuitive to everything that we know. But it's so precious, guys. It's so precious. I was talking with a pastor recently who, on a flight, he was sitting next to a Jehovah Witness, and he was talking to her about her faith and his faith. And, and, she, was, and she said, do you guys really believe that you're God's children? And he said, well, yeah. And he brought out the scriptures. And he showed her here and here and here. And you know, shorter in the Bible. Yeah, that's what it says. It says that we're God's children. And she looked at him and says, well, isn't that a little bit presumptuous? <laughs> right? And it is. It's like totally, if, if we're, if we, without God's grace, if we were to say, hey, God, just, you know, I'm your child now. Hey, just wanted to let you know. <laughs> right? That would be crazy presumptuous. Could you imagine going to the White House and being like, oh, no, you can let me in. It's cool. Uh, Donald Trump's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Like they would put you in a room with lots of padding and nobody would ever see you again. Like that's, that's presumptuous. Yes. But if the president, if the king of all creation comes down and says, I've chosen you. This was my plan for you from the very beginning because I enjoy spending time with you. I chose you. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. That's not presumptuous. That's precious. That's mind-blowing precious. That's like sell everything and go after that precious. And that should be the kind of people we are. So I want to ask ourselves today, Father's Day, how can we be better children? I got, I think, nine different ideas. This, this list goes on and on and on. And it's by no means designed to be finished. I want you guys to get your minds rolling. I don't want this to be a a, a generic thing. Like, how can we be better children? I want you to pray and say, how can I be a better child? How can I love you more as my father? Amen? So walking with the father. So one of the things I've gotten a lot better about recently um, and praise God, it's by His grace, is taking time every morning, almost every morning, to, to pray and to seek Him and to spend time alone with Him. And recently, I think it was, gosh, four or five days ago, 
You know, you know when you're praying and you're just like, God, you're so great and you're so awesome and I just, I love you. And, and you'll say something. Some of you, I'm sure, have experienced this. You'll say something and God will just say, that, that. And your heart will just like, whoa. Like, it'll just like melt. Like, it's just, it becomes this massive, amazing, huge thing that you never imagined it would be. And so, as I'm praying, I'm just, God, I love you and you're so great. And I just, I want you to teach me to walk with you. And God's like, that, stop, stop, that, that. That would be amazing. Let's do that. Like, that'd be so great. Like, let's walk together, right? That was the idea from the very beginning, right? You look at the garden and God's like schedule right there, penciled in was walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. That sounds great today, right? (laughs) Walking with God in the cool of the garden. That was like the highlight of his schedule. He loved it. And that's what he wants. He wants to walk with us. That involves sharing life. This thing that we think is life, that consists of a bank account balance and that consists of a daily schedule, that's not life. It's not. That's like the background. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Guys, that is life. John 17, 3, I didn't make it up. That's life. If you're waiting for heaven, if you're waiting for heaven, I want you to know you can have it right now. Because let me tell you what heaven is for me. Heaven is Jesus Christ, period. Because I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how fluffy it is. If Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven to me. It's not. All of the gold and all of the fancy arches and mansions and all that is going to be a backdrop to the amazing encounter of, of being held by Jesus. That's life. And you can have it now. You can have it now. And that doesn't mean that, you, that all the things that you care about, that all the people you care about, that those go away. It means that those become re-energized by this amazing love that you see that God has for them. And so suddenly you're able to love them and you're able to love things in a selfless way. Not selfish, selfless. In the way that God intended you to. Sharing life with God. He wants to share life with you. If you, like, pick one of these that you can give God today for Father's Day. Like, just pick one. Be like, God, my present for you today, I want to share life with you. Boom. Right? Sharing life with God. John 17, 3. Look it up. It's amazing. Learning wisdom. I don't know about you guys, but I have some bad decisions on me. <laughs> it happened once. Oh, wait, no, Twice. Okay, it's happened a lot. So, so right? We, what's funny is we think that we're really, really good decision makers, right? Like we think like um, there's not very many people that would tell you like, oh, I'm a horrible judge of character. <laughs> like you don't hear that, right? Or you don't hear people like say, oh, I'm just, I'm horrible with, with finances. Like, but, they, but you look at like their bank account history and you're like, you're horrible with finances, right? But we don't realize those things about ourselves. We think that we're awesome and we're amazing decision makers, and sometimes we can be trained into that, but by and large, we're pretty foolish people. I'm a pretty foolish guy. Like, God's walked me through a lot of stuff, and I've learned a lot. But, like, you look at high school me, or you look like junior high David, no good. No good, right? You would have loved me, because I, I, I knew everything back then, which was great. But, uh, <laughs> but what's funny is even, even God, like, even, I know Pastor Sherman can attest to this, that as you grow closer to God, this amazing thing happens. God gets bigger. Now, it sounds weird, right? Because as you get closer to something, it's supposed to get smaller, right? But as you get closer to God, God gets bigger. As you get to know him better, you're like, your love goes that deep? And he's like, it goes deeper. 
Just, you know, like, whoa! Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach. That means God's not going to make fun of you for asking for wisdom. He's not going to be like, good thing you asked because you were about to do something real dumb, right? <laughs> like, he's, he's, so, he's so generous. And he says, thank you for coming to me. Would you guys, like, okay, those of you who have kids, if your kids came to you and they're like, you know, Dad, I'm, I've got this really big decision and I just wanted to get your opinion on it because I really value your wisdom. Would you be like, <laughs> you're so dumb. No, of course not. You'd be like, thank you. I've waited my whole life for this. Father's Day is awesome, right? <laughs> right? Ask God for wisdom. He wants to share with you. He wants to share with you. He's desperately for you to have the right answers, right? Ask God for wisdom. Accept God's discipline. This is something that we have struggled with a lot with, with social services and with just kind of the way that things are going. Discipline has become a bad word. I want you to know that it's not. It's not. In Hebrews twelve six, it says that, that God disciplines the ones that he loves. He corrects the ones that he loves. Now, if, you're, if your kid's about to run out into the street and you're like, oh, we don't do discipline, it's, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll learn. <laughs> like, that's not love, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, he's been hit three times by the cars. You'd think he'd learn by now, right? That's totally not love, right? Right? Or if, you're, if your kids are living in a very selfish way and you don't correct that, that's not love. You're setting them up to have horrible relationships. That's not love. Love requires discipline. It does. And it's not discipline that comes from anger. That's not discipline. That's punishment. That's a different thing. Discipline is correction. That's what that means. Accept God's discipline as his love. And we have a hard time with that as Christians. I was listening to a message by Paul Tripp, and he was kind of facetiously saying, like, you know, I was talking to a brother the other day, and he came up and he told me what was wrong with my sermon and, like, a couple of different points that that I had wrong, you know, in, in what I had said and my misunderstandings. You know, I put my arm around him. I said, I just feel like you're just totally lifting me up right now. Like, God, you're, you're just like an instrument of God's grace in my life right now. Look at this guy. He's great. Look at how much he's helping me so much. You know what? Could you just stick around? Because I'm probably going to make some mistakes in the next, I don't know, five minutes. And you could just point them out for me as I go, you know, right? That's not what we do. We hate correction. We're like, get away from me. Like this, this whole like thing in our gut, like gets all twisted and we're like let's let's make it look better let's spin it right like let's 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 ignore it. look at distraction right we hate correction but we need to learn to love god's correction and to be able to accept and that's hard for me too like when i do a project at work and and i put like my whole heart and effort into it and, and my boss is like you totally forgot this part didn't you Okay, yeah, I did. But look at all this stuff that I did. It's great. Look at this. You didn't even like tell me I did a great job on all this, right? <laughs> and that's how that's the, the spirit we get into. But instead, I should look at that and be like, I did forget that. You know, and I can I can learn from that and get better. That's good. So we need to accept God's correction, right? You guys are like, what? I don't want to accept God's correction. I thought you said this was going to be a good message. <laughs> Building with dad. How many of you guys have ever built with your dads? Anyone? Went, oh, yeah, building with dad. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm, I'm, I don't want to, like, spoil this for you, but your dad could have done it quicker without you, <laughs> right? Like, you, like, especially when you're tiny little kids, and you're like, give me the hammer. That's not the hammer. 
No, it's the, no, that's not the, well, put that down. That is not a hammer. Like, you're like, just, hey, no, 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 you're going to hurt. Just, you go inside and watch me from behind the glass door. Like, and I'll build it for you, right? Like, totally, as a dad, like, that's how we are sometimes. Where we're like, I could do it so much quicker, just get out of my way, right? But God is so patient and he lets us be a part of his work. And it's such a beautiful thing. And sometimes I'm like, God, you just do it because I can't. I don't want to. And God will take me by the hand and say, no, we're going to do this together. Because I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. My wife has um, back problems that have just haunted her for so many years. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would heal them. And he showed me recently that he wanted me to be a part of that healing. We got a, a massage table. And, I've able to be, and it's been such a huge blessing to be able to be a, a part of her healing. And a part of ministering to that healing. Yes, God could do it so much better without me. But he's using me as an instrument for that healing and to draw my wife and I closer together. And that's a beautiful thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, we're to encourage each other and build each other up. Like what if, what if at church, like we went to church, you're like, I love to go to church because I just feel like everybody encourages me and builds me up. I hope that that's your church. It should be, right? Like we should go to people. The world has it totally backwards. They don't want to go to church because they're afraid they're going to be condemned when all the while God's plan was for them to be renewed and to be revived at church and to be built up. Church should be a place of building up. We should be about the business of making disciples on purpose. Did you know that that's not a a thing that happens on accident? Did you guys know that? Like, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while and you're just like, I don't know what's wrong. Nobody's asked me to be my disciple. Nobody's come up to me and said that they want to be my disciple yet. I just, am I doing it wrong? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. You've got to go out and, and be intentional about that. Right? Right? A lot of times we expect a lot of things in life to be so easy. We expect it to come to us, right? But we should be pursuing these things. We should be intentionally looking at all the different people in our lives and saying, God, who can I help today? Who can I encourage and build up? Who can I teach your word? Right? We should be about bodybuilding. Okay, yeah, I'm obviously not the guy to give the bodybuilding message. That's okay, I get that. But in Ephesians 4.12, it's talking about a different body. It says that we should be about building the body of Christ. That that's an important thing to God. Right? Do you guys know what the church is? We talked about religion. What is the church? What is the biblical definition for the church? The body. Right? It talks about it as living stones, living stones fit together. That's the church. This is a beautiful building and it's getting even more beautiful every day. (laughs) Good job. But this isn't the church. This is a place where we have church services, but this isn't the church as beautiful and wonderful as it is. You guys are the church. Dude, you're the church. You're a living stone. That God is like, I know where this goes. This is the perfect stone to go right here. And look, I'm going to put this stone right there. Look at that. That's like art right there. That's awesome. And it's more beautiful than any cathedral that you could ever imagine. It's God's artwork. He says that he talks about it in in Ephesians 2. He says that you're his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. That we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works. That's That's our design. It's not just like this, this church like, hey, look at that brick wall. That sure is fancy. But it's like this brick wall that's like, let's go do things. Yeah. Right? That, that's, that's God's church. It's to be a mobile, living, active thing that cares about the things that God cares about. Right? Are you guys awake? Are you with me? Let's go do it. Let's go be God's church. Let's be like daddy. Right? Because that's, that's like the best compliment that you can give on Father's Day. Right? Like we, you can give a card, you can give a gift, 
But there's nothing like your children saying, I love you, Dad, and I want to be like you. Thank you for modeling Christ-like love to me. Dude, that's, that's the tops. That's as good as it gets for me. And so we should be like that to God. We should say, God, I'm not good enough. Isaiah talks about it. He says, as the heavens are above the earth. I don't know if you guys know this thing about the heavens. We don't know how big it is. <laughs> it's that huge. Like, we measure out and we look and we're like, whoa. That stuff out there, that's really, really far. But that's not the edge. Hmm, I wonder if there is one, right? We have no idea how high the heavens are above the earth. And that's how big God's ways are, bigger than ours. That's how much better his ideas are than ours. That's how much better his love is than ours. And so we should want that. We should want to be a part of that. We should be like, copy, paste. That's me, right? That's what I want to be. Romans 8 puts it this way. It says that we should be conformed to the image of his his son. Um, Romans 12 puts it this way. It says that we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can know God's perfect will, good, perfect, and acceptable will. So that by testing, we can know. You guys want to know God's will? I do. Let him transform you. We should abide in Jesus. Abide in him. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Such a beautiful, beautiful imagery. Does anyone have any plants out here? I know it's the desert. It's, yeah, it's hard, <laughs> right? I've got like these plants and they amaze me because I'm like, I'm just going to put it there and give it some water and then walk away, <laughs> right? And like the sprinklers come on and it waters it and like these amazing flowers and like fruits and things happen. And it's like, whoa, how did that happen? I didn't even have to do It's just, look, look, it's a pear tree and it grew a pear. That's awesome, Right? Right? And that's the same way. The fruit of God's spirit. It's not all these different things. It's singular. It's one fruit. The fruit of God's spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? If we abide in God, if we're part of that tree, we become that fruit. Just like we're not surprised when we pick a pear tree off of a pear, or a pear off of a pear tree. We're not surprised. We shouldn't be surprised if we're living in God, if he's our nourishment, if he's the vine and we're the branches, if we start seeing that beautiful fruit in our lives. And you don't have to fake it. You don't have to try to, try to, to make it happen of your own will. But I think so many, so many times we try to say, oh, God, the fruit of your spirit is love. I just, I'm going to try this week to be way more loving. I'm going to try really hard. That's, that's sweet and that's precious, but it's the wrong way. It's the wrong, because we, I don't know. I honestly don't even know what love is apart from God. I don't. I don't. I have this idea. But like the more I I chase that rabbit hole, the more I I follow after my idea of love, I discover it's selfish, guys. And the only model that I see for that selfless love is God. And I want to be part of that vine. We should be one with Jesus. Jesus. Did you know that Jesus prays for you? That's so cool, right? Did you know that in the Word, there's actually a part where it talks about, I mean, we look at like, you know, God told the disciples this, God told, you know, Peter this, that God told Moses this, right? Did you know that there's a part in the Bible that's addressed specifically to you, like you? In John 19, Jesus says in his prayer before he goes to the cross, he says, and I pray for those who will believe through you, talking to the disciples, that's us. You know what his prayer was for you? He says that they may be one in us, that we can experience that abiding in Christ, that we would be so close to God that we just start to, to, to look so much like him that people see him through us. Amen? That's Father's Day. So what does God want for Father's Day? 
What does God want for Father's Day? Not rhetorical. Now, be more like Him, right? What does that mean? You see, because we can try in our own effort to be like, to make a list and be like, okay, today I'm going to work on this. And that's sweet, guys. That's neat. But I think the best way, the way that God intended it, is that he wants a more sincere relationship with us. And there's, a, there's no one who's exempt in this room for this. There's not a single person, not me, not even Pastor Sherman, who's like, oh yeah, my relationship with God, I made it to the end. Totally there. Can't get closer than this. This is pretty great. God and I, we watch NASCAR. We, uh, we, we do all these things, right? God wants a more sincere relationship with you. And the way that that happens is exactly what Pastor Sherman was talking about last week, guys. It's spending time with him, his word. It broke my heart, the love that he has for you when he was saying that if you're not spending time in God's word... That he's wasting his time. That the five years of his being a pastor hasn't meant anything to you. You see, because Pastor Sherman can model it for you. He can get up here and he can show you the passion that God's given for it. He can show you his love for God. But it doesn't do a thing for you until it becomes your love for God. You can't love God through Pastor Sherman. That's not what God intended. God doesn't want to love you from a distance. God doesn't want to love you through a proxy. He doesn't want to be like, hey, you can send notes through this guy because I like him. Um, But don't talk to me directly because I'm busy and I've got a lot of appointments and my secretary is going to just turn you away. That's not God. That's not the way that he works. He says, come to me, all of you who who labor and are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. It says that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he binds up their wounds. God wants a relationship with you. And there's a big difference between being a Christian and being someone who goes to church and being a child of the Father. Let's put away all the labels. Let's put away all the pretense. Let's be children of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your patience with me, God. I thank you so much that you didn't give up on me and that you love me with an everlasting love. God, my desire today is to love you, to really love you, God, and that you would just throw away every preconception that I have in my mind about what love is, God, and that you would just overwhelm me with who you are that we'd walk together, that we'd spend all the day together. God, it says that everywhere that I go, you are with me. God, help me to be aware of your presence. Help me to be intentional about inviting you into every part of my life. Help me to be intentional about learning who you are through your word, about praying and seeking you in prayer and talking to you, God. Help me to be your child, God. and help, Help me to see the way that you welcome us with open arms, God. In Jesus' name. I'll leave you with one quick story, and that's one you've probably all, all heard before in the story of the prodigal son. So two, two children, right? Two children of this guy who's got lots of money, right? And one of the kids says, I want my inheritance. And the dad says, but I'm not dead, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he says, well, I want my inheritance. I want it now. It's my inheritance. You're going to give it to me now. 
And so the father gives him all this huge amount of wealth and he goes to a faraway land and he wastes it all. He blows it all on, on pleasures of this world, on things that don't matter. To the point where there's a famine that comes into the land and the only job he can get is as, a, is as a pig feeder. He goes and he feeds the pigs. But he's got very specific instructions from his master not to eat the pig food. Now, when you see things on, like, labels on, on things and it says, don't eat this, there's reasons <laughs> because people were eating it. So if the, if the master tells him, don't eat the pig food, the reason is because this guy is starved. He is crazy, crazy starved. And back then, they didn't have, like, the animal rights, like, monitoring pig food it was just like this is pig food right and the pigs are going to eat it because they're dumb right that's just and so he's like i don't even know what that is but i want to eat it because i'm just so starved has anyone in here been starved to the point of death where you're like i am going to die literally die if i don't get a bite of food soon i don't think we even understand what that means and in his desperation, he says, if only, if only I could be a slave in my father's house. If only I could crawl back there. And maybe he'll have mercy on me. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. And so he dies. Far away land, right? Far away. No shoes. He crawls back. I don't even know how long it took him. I don't know how he even made it. But he did whatever it took to get back to the father. And he gets back to the father and he doesn't find a stern dad that says, I told you so. You're so dumb. Why would you do that? His dad was watching for him. Watching for him. It says his dad saw him when he was a far way off and ran out to greet him. He didn't. That's a huge deal, guys. That's a huge deal. Ran out to greet him. Because the way that you and I would do it is be, we would sit and we'd wait. We'd if they want mercy, they can come to me. If they want forgiveness, they can come and they can ask me. Right? But God, in this story, the analogy, the, the father ran, ran to his son. He put shoes on his feet. He put his clean, beautiful robe over his dirty rags, dirty pig filth-soaked rags. He gave him his ring. He said, you're my son. Welcome home. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.